Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Welcome, tech talkers and tech listeners. If you like your news to have a little less doom and gloom and a little bit more light at the end of the tunnel, then we've got some news for you. And here's the bloke with more news than most, ladies and gentlemen. It's Matthew Dickerson. How's your week been, Matt? Well, that's put some pressure on me now. I've got to have all positive stories this week, James. Yeah, that's it. Make me smile. Well, I'll do my best. And I do like to look at the positive sides of technology. I do love technology. And I've actually been talking to a few people this week just about some of the processes with their digital marketing. And I would really struggle if I was in traditional forms of media, say newspaper, radio, TV, because the thing that these few people I was speaking to about digital marketing, they really loved about it was the fact that you got feedback about how effective it was. So you think of the old days, you put an ad on TV or radio or put in the newspaper, and how did that ad work for you? Oh, well, I think, okay, because I had a few extra sales and someone it's mentioned that. It's a bit wavered in the wind, isn't it? Oh, a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't know who, it's not that target of the newspaper. Sure, you might pick one newspaper over another because they've got a slightly different audience or a radio station that's got different style of listeners. But even that's a bit of a shotgun approach. You just kind of blast mm. it out there and hope for the best. But digital marketing, especially when you've got a company that really focuses on that digital targeting, you can start to really narrow down to age and demographics and sex and education levels and a whole range of things. It's a bit things. more of a sniper rifle as far as... Um, Good example, yep, yeah, yeah. That is absolutely spot on. And then it gets better than that. You get the instant feedback about how effective it is, how many people are clicking on this particular ad. Yeah, right. Are they taking them through and are they getting the, the throughput that you would hope for do we need to change your ad a little bit? And there was an organisation I was involved with many years ago called Evo Cities, and we used to do some of the AB marketing. And I really enjoy the AB marketing where you run one ad and then you run the same ad, but just change one little thing about it. It might be a change of the image or you change one part of the wording and see which one's most effective. And then once you've done that, you go to the next step. And so with Evo Cities, we we're trying to get more people from metropolitan areas out to regional areas. Mm. And we just found a really simple thing. When we put pictures up of dusty, dirty, outback, sort of really rough and tumble environments, no one clicked on it. No one wanted to know that. They love the romantic version of what happens out in the bush, but no one to move there. When we put up pictures of a regional Evo sitting having cafes and cinemas and that modern cosmopolitan lifestyle in a regional area, the click-through rate went through the roof. So straight away we went, okay, that AB marketing showed us exactly what people want. Now let's focus on that and you can drill down further. And then do they want cafes or do they want cinemas? So there's all those things there. So I love that real challenge from a digital marketer's perspective of how you put the information out there, but then that feedback and what works. And I wouldn't like to be in advertising in those traditional media spectrums anymore because how you compete against that instant feedback, that information you get back. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. So interesting in the world of marketing there. Well, congratulations, folks. You've tuned into the right episode this week. Matt's going to fill us in with some uh, a new rapid and cheap water treatment uh, decontamination method. Uh, it's a good way to get rid of your dodgy water. Um, we've got a heap of exciting updates on the EV front, and Matt's going to unpack what net zero emissions by 2020 will... Uh, sorry, 2050. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here, folks. We can only wish, James. <laughs> <laughs> what net zero emissions by 2050 will actually mean for Australians. And... Um, It's actually pretty good news. Now, first, folks, how frustrating is it when your headphones go flat? 
You're just about to hit your workout and you've got your skits mix all primed and ready for a noisy high energy sesh and 12 bars into the first song, nothing, silence. Or maybe you're right at that point in the Zoom meeting when Darren from accounting is actually for once delivering something important and he goes quiet and it takes you a minute to work out it's not him, it's you. And then you waste another two minutes fumbling around to get the sound back with another pair of headphones and it turns out you've already been given an assignment and the only detail you know is the deadline. Matt, in 2022, there's got to be a better way, surely. So I tell people, James, that this podcast is based on fact. And you just tried to tell me that someone from accounting was going to deliver something interesting. <laughs> surely that's from the fiction. fiction well, it, it's, it might be a stretch, but it can't be completely false anyway. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Could probably just all accountants out there we've just defended. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is annoying when your batteries go flat. And most headphones now come with rechargeable batteries. You don't want to pull them out and swap batteries over and put some new ones in because you can never find those batteries. But the charge-up time is a bit annoying and some don't like to play while they're charging. So the obvious solution to me is solar panels. And it does sound a bit crazy when you think about how big solar panels are, but Mm. you're not using much power when you're using headphones. The headphones that you often see that have got a thick strap across the top, that's enough room for solar panels. So one company now has come out with solar panels embedded into that band across the top of your head. Uh, can you make the band wide enough to hide a ball patch? <laughs> I don't think they're that big. <laughs> that would be called a hat. Because I'm in the market. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so maybe that's another marketing they've got to do. But the whole idea here is that you go out for a walk in the sun, go for a run in the sun, sit around the sun. It's charging up your headphones while you're using them. In good sunlight, it's actually putting more charge in than you could ever possibly use while you're listening to things. Obviously, if you're walking early in the morning or late in the evening, probably not quite enough power. It'll just slow down the discharge rate. But the other thing is, when you're sitting inside, you're probably not sitting in the sun, but you might have a window nearby. You take them off when you finish using them. Just sit them near a windowsill. Sit them somewhere they're exposed to some sunlight, and that'll be enough to keep charging them up. What the manufacturers say is that you will never have to plug them in. Now, you can. If you needed to, you hadn't exposed them to sun for some time, you could still plug them in. But their plan is that this is a infinite, in inverted commas, battery, mm. because you'll never, ever have to worry about plugging it in. You'll just have to expose it to sun on an irregular basis, and that'll be enough to keep these headphones charged up forevermore. Great concept. Yeah, and Zoom meetings out on the walking track. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why not? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm out just on the walking crash, track because I need to charge it. up my headphones. <laughs> Okay, it's no secret that we humans are a pretty needy species. All of the necessary resources on the list, of all of them, access to clean fresh water is right there on the top. For most of us in Australia, we do okay on that front, but for the well-travelled among us, we know that 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 isn't the case in many places around the globe. The challenge for material scientists of the modern age is to produce a cheap and rapid, easily accessible treatment for contaminated water and turn thing, things around for populations such as uh, you know that are suffering such fundamental disadvantages. Matt, what's the good news here? Well, the bad news is that about a third of the world's population doesn't have access to clean drinking water. Mm. The good news is that people have been working on this. Scientists have been working on it. We've talked about it before, where people have designed various machinery. They've designed concepts that might be powered by the sun, for example. They might use a whole range of scientific concepts. Well, material science is big time now. It's, it's a big area in yeah. science, yeah. So all those things are great, but you've got to get those things into some of these places where you don't have that clean drinking water. Mm. You've got to make sure it stays safe. You don't want animals coming along and knocking it over or someone stealing it. Mm. So they've got some problems, but people are working on other methods, and they've come up now with a tablet, a hydrogel tablet. One tablet 
developed by the University of Texas. One tablet drops into water that's not completely ridiculously dirty. I'm not talking about sewage water here, but something you might get out of a river, mm. out of a well, for example, that's probably got some microbes, some germs in there, but it's vaguely cleanish looking. Mm. You drop that in, one litre, one hour, one tablet, you've got water that's clean. 99.999% of all the bacteria has been neutralised by this tablet. So that sounds pretty good. The great part about it, though, it's also scalable. So you can build larger tablets or more tablets. And what works with one tablet, it's all about the surface area, mm. you can build up to larger volumes of water. It might be something in a village you might just say, we'll ship a bunch of these tablets in for you and everyone that comes along, just drop it in your one litre and away you go. But you might also have a larger vat a there tank. Yeah, yeah. for the village, for example, to use. So you might drop in more tablets or a larger tablet in there. So completely scalable to whatever level you want. But the other part, it's very transportable. You can build mm. these tablets as a cube or as a sphere, whatever might be a convenient way to transport, pack and send these to places all around the world. So this isn't something that we're talking about that might happen. This is something right now that, that the University of Texas are producing. It's just getting to the point where they can produce it in enough quantity and then obviously work out a way to pay for the quantities they're producing. But this is a real thing right now. You can go and drop this tablet in your water right now. And save a whole lot of money and uh, and trouble uh, with medical expenses from, from dirty drinking water because, um, yeah. Dare I say it, save a whole lot of lives, James. Save a whole lot of lives. Moving on to something a little bit uh, left of centre here. Screen time is doing us very few favours, folks. Um, You're probably aware of that. Most of us are becoming more and more aware of the impact of screen time on our sleep patterns. But there's a solution available now for those of us who are having trouble tearing themselves away, Matt. (laughs) This is one I'm just a little bit dubious about. I like to bring stories that I've got lots of research on based on lots of fact. Matt, you're going to save me here because, you know, the amount of late nights I've had in front of the screen, whether I'm marking, whether I'm reading reports, whatever I'm doing, I head to bed at midnight having spent another five hours in front of the screen. Tell me about it. And do you find a bit of trouble going to sleep? Oh, absolutely. You're, you're dead exhausted. Yep. But you can't sleep. Well, I'd try these out, but I'm not going to guarantee anything, James, because (laughs) one thing that worries me is the marketing. They talk about these glasses that you put on being the cutting edge of neuroscience-led lens technology. It sounds impressive, which Mm. kind of, when I hear pseudoscience terms, I always think they use big words that make it sound good, but they don't actually mean anything. So these glasses are meant to block 99.9% of the noxious blue-green light that you're Mm. talking about from those screen times. So basically, that'll disrupt your body production of the sleep hormone melatonin. So you watch your smartphone, you're on your computer, as you mentioned, or sitting in front of the TV, then you try and go to bed, your body's not ready for it. So it has to kind of get into that relaxed state. Put these glasses on, you know, maybe 40 minutes before you go to bed, or watching the computer screen for a while, then you can go along and go to sleep and everything will be fine. With your circadian rhythms uninterfered with. Exactly, until I read the creators of it. And this is where I started to think, I'm not convinced about this one. The creators are a pair of twins, Jordan and Zach Stenmark. They describe themselves, not someone else, this is how they describe themselves, as wellness authorities and models. Oh, (laughs) dual. And they said they teamed up with a bearded man in a white coat to create these glasses called Dreamers. (laughs) So when I read that bit, I went, oh, I'm not convinced. The concept is there. Everyone knows about the concept. Phone manufacturers are trying to change what happens on your phone as you get close to bedtime. You've got things you can nominate as a bedtime so that you start to change what your screen looks like. So there's all this science around it. 
but I'm just not convinced about this. But why don't you get a pair? I know you like buying all the things we talk about on this show. <laughs> get a pair and see if they actually help you. And then how do you do? How do you test for the placebo effect here? Yeah. Where these glasses? Then someone gives you two pair of glasses. They don't tell you which one are the dreamers and which ones <laughs> which are just I, normal. And then you see if either of them make any difference. But the concept is there. Whether or not these do it or not, I'm not convinced. But please, someone out there that's used them, let us know. Um, do you find the ad in uh, like comic books right next to X-ray glasses and things? <laughs> Like that. <laughs> we give the old Phantom comics a hard time, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> the very first misinformation campaign in Phantom. <laughs> Horse racing, the sport of kings. It's made men and it's destroyed them. Few things give us the same rush as when you've got a bob each way on a roughie with a nose in front as they round the bend in the home straight. But it's a sport that's come under fire in recent years for its use of the whip, and that's taken the lure away for many people. So could virtual racing become a potential substitute? Well, it could become a potential substitute. And in fact, I think you've even seen some things in pubs, haven't you, that it's I, a bit like virtual yeah, racing? Look, yeah, yeah, but, but it's a bit like a random number generator that's just got <laughs> like a bit of a, a computer, a, a comic graphic to it. Right. So you've got a line of horses that are running and each one's got a number. They probably have a name as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a random number generator that takes its time coming up with the number. And people bet on it. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, people bet on a guy standing in a ring with uh, two coins, uh, flipping two coins into the air. So Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Australians will bet on anything. We do talk about two flies, flies crawling up the wall. <laughs> That's right. So this one, let me say it from the outset, James. We talk about a whole range of things on Tech Talk, but this is probably the strangest story I've ever heard. This is the most unbelievable story I've ever seen that we've talked about. You've got virtual horse racing. Okay, you've mm. talked about some random number generators in a pub. That's great. But a couple of guys came up with this idea of doing a digital horse racing platform. So you can do virtual racing. Well, okay, we've seen that. That's okay. Then they said, what about if we started to get to the point where we could virtually breed these horses. So the horses that perform well, you can put them out to stud. Maybe people will buy these horses. So they put some of the horses up for sale. Hang on, these are electronic horses. These are electronic that horses that don't exist. <laughs> don't exist. <laughs> putting them out to stud. Putting them out to stud. So they got some of the horses and they said, we'll try selling them for oh, $100. We'll, we'll see if we can get away with that. And they sold them for $100. I thought that wasn't too bad. That's That's interesting. And then they started noticing that some of these horses were being sold on a secondary market and people were paying significant sums. I'm talking about $420,000 US what? for one of these. That's a big <laughs> jump from 100 bucks, that which is, is a lot of money to pay for an electronic virtual horse. Exactly right. So they look at the breeding of these horses. Then there's an algorithm that gives you, a bit better than a random number generator, 10,000 possible outcomes, but based on an algorithm based on the breeding of the horse and the performance of the horse. So the same way you would look at a race book at a normal race meeting mm. and go, oh, I know the parents of that horse and I know the breeding of that horse and the performance there and I think this has got a pretty good chance. So it weighs all that into it, but then you might want that particular bloodline, which I'm not sure if it's called a bloodline when it's virtual, but you might want that particular bloodline of a horse and so you're prepared to pay money for it, significant money. A stable had a handful of horses in it. It was sold for... $2.3 million for a stable what? of horses. <laughs> what? So they're buying these horses. 
then they're actually putting them out to stud. So you can breed them in that virtual sense and the algorithm still carries through the bloodline so you get better performing horses. I don't know if they have random things happen where a horse might fall over and break its leg and have to be put down and then you lose all your money on that horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. So it does seem crazy. They've got some big names behind it. They've got some celebrities like Mike Tyson and Paris Hilton and (laughs) MC Hammer all backing this. They've got... They're virtual horse owners themselves. I'm not sure if I'd base all my investment on those sort of names, but I'm not saying anything about them in particular, but yeah, they've got, yeah. Some, they've got some celebrities behind it all. It just seems absolutely crazy. They came up with the idea when they actually went past, the, the couple of friends went past a horse stud and saw how much one of the stallions in that particular real horse stud was being charged to actually go out and be a dad. And they went, that seems like a much better thing than risking a racehorse on some prize money. Why don't we do that in a virtual sense? And of course, I'm sure <laughs> they were, I don't know, having a few beers when they came up with that or they were sitting there. And in a lot car. of laughs. A lot of laughs. But they've done it and they've got this whole thing called. And they put it out there and someone paid. And they're paying and, and not just someone, more and more people. It's called Zed Run for anyone who wants to go and have a look at it. But on a daily basis, there are trades worth about $20 million on people trading these horses. So it is the craziest thing I have seen ever. So blow cryptocurrencies. We're now going crypto horse racing. <laughs> crypto horse racing. I mean, you get a bit of excitement, I suppose. It was, with cryptocurrencies, the excitement is, where well, you're going to be broke tomorrow. Mm. This excitement is watching some of your virtual horses running. And there's, there's full-on race meetings. One of the things that's brought it to the attention at the moment is you've got virtual racetracks now, Flemington, where the Melbourne Cup is run, so a very famous racetrack around the world, so Flemington has just been added to the virtual racetrack. So when you see your horses racing, oh, I've made it to Flemington to get my horse racing at Flemington <laughs> in the virtual world. But yeah. it's one of the things that you can then look at and see your horse, your virtual horse racing on this virtual racetrack that looks like Flemington. <laughs> well, maybe this will become a thing. Maybe it will. I mean, stranger things have happened, perhaps. Well, it is a thing. It's not becoming a well, thing. Well, sorry, it is. it is a thing. Okay, well, I just wonder if, my virtual horse might get itself a virtual parasite infection. I have to give it some virtual ivermectin. That's for the horse and not for you folks. Um, but uh, jeepers. Yeah, it does seem absolutely crazy, doesn't it? Oh. It then starts to open up, I think, other opportunities. And it is that point where people will gamble on anything. If you can do all this in the virtual sense with horse racing, what's to stop us doing it with Formula One cars or mm. MotoGP bikes or any event that you've got? Racing that's got some things that are based around a little bit of luck and a lot of, say, skill or technology. So Formula One, obviously a lot of technology in the cars. You might go and bid on some of the better cars that are racing. You might bid on a Mercedes or a Hmm. a Red Bull car, for example, and they're not as good as – or sorry, they'll go for more money than, say, the McLaren or the Ferrari. So you can start to do the same thing there. And then the drivers you might try and put into those cars. I can see this just opening up so many different areas. And so people that are real fans of this – would actually feel a bit engaged because they're an owner. These people that are buying these horses, they might only buy a small part, like in the real world. I'm a virtual horse race owner, but I couldn't afford the $420,000, so I just own a small percentage. You could own a bit of a a Mercedes or a bit of a Red Bull. Or a bit of a Manchester United soccer team. Even better, yeah. So just the possibilities are endless, and I just still think it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, well... Here we go, headlong into a brave new world, and um, this is all part of it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Now, keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on that one. The world has changed dramatically over the last 18 months. 
and the new normal will involve a hybrid workforce with video conferencing a part of that mix. You need your staff to focus on what really matters, the meeting, not the technology. Crestron can help your Teams or Zoom or WebEx meeting rooms work first time, every time, because Crestron is all about you. It is simple to deploy, simple to manage and a joy to use. To use video conferencing that adapts to the way you want to work, visit meetwithcrestron.com forward slash tech talk. There's been a lot of banging on in the media in the lead up to the uh, Glasgow Climate Summit and the Aussie government has been copping some stick over a plan that you would have had if you're not having a plan. In the 80s, we would have called that, of course, a Clayton's plan, uh, as a dose of this week's dose of nostalgia, at least. Well, um, if we were to get serious about a net zero target by 2050, what would that really mean for Australians today, Matt? Surely there's some good news here. Well, there is some good news here, and there's also things that would change. And despite the very weak proposal, or as I say, the Clayton's plan, I like that term, the Clayton's plan from our government, I think things are happening anyway. I think things are happening despite our government, not because of our government. Individuals are making change. Businesses are making change. So things are happening already. And I just wanted to go through a few of the things that I thought might change fairly quickly. In fact, a lot quicker than absolutely the government thinks and probably even Mm. quicker than we would realise. The first thing I think we'll see is our holidays will change. In the old days, and I keep talking about the old days being before the pandemic started, Overseas holidays were just so common. It was so cheap to fly overseas. People would fly to New Zealand cheaper than they'd fly somewhere in Australia. They'd fly across to the US for a few days over there or Europe for a mm. little week's holiday. I went to Europe for a holiday. In fact, it was only, yeah, not long before the pandemic, about two or three months, there was someone saying, I'm getting married in Poland. Do you want to come over? Oh, that sounds great. So it was a quick trip over to Poland, a couple of days there, come back. No big deal. But now I think what we'll see is that Prices for airline tickets will be higher. People will be more conscious of their carbon footprint. So I think we'll see people holidaying closer to home. Lots of things in Australia to see, for example. Maybe Mm. fly within Australia rather than flying overseas. Or maybe, and I've been trying to convince my kids to do this for years and I've never had any luck, maybe get the Winnebago, the camper van, and start doing a bit of a trip around Australia in that. I've been trying to talk my wife out of this. (laughs) So you've just said the wrong words. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. No, but you're right. But after the um, 2019 bushfires, 2019-2020 bushfires, um, and and then on the back of that, the the lockdowns from the pandemic and whatnot, yeah, Australian tourism just has taken such a blow and there's been so much excellent campaigning to get people to go and visit locally again. So I think that will change, and I think that will change Long term, not just we come out of the pandemic, let's go and see somewhere in Australia. People Mm. will go, I think it's better to stay a bit closer. The planes will also change. I think we'll see some biofuels used. I think we'll see some electric planes. We've talked about them before. But even hydrogen-fueled aircraft, I think we'll Mm. see some of that happening for those longer-haul flights. But again, much easier to get some of those short flights going. So that's the first thing I think we'll definitely see change. Work from home, absolutely. And as you said before, some people hate it, some people love it. But the reality is it will be an option. So the congestion in our major cities will reduce because some people will be choosing to work maybe one day a week, maybe more than one day a week from home, which obviously if everyone worked one day a week from home, that would suddenly reduce your congestion overall by about 20% if Mm. you took all that traffic off the road one day a week. I'm being very loose in my calculations there, but roughly it's going to reduce that traffic. And I think then what we'll see is some more bike lanes, some different ways that people commute to work. And especially with e-bikes becoming better all the time, cheaper and much more efficient, people might choose to start using bikes to get to work on the days that they do go to work, on the days that they're not staying well, I'm at home. hearing the echoes right now, people going, oh, bikes, that'll never catch on. No, it's not for us. It won't, it won't ever catch on. But it just takes a couple of people 
um, to to be noticeably riding their bikes, and I say a couple, you know, as that number grows, mm. people become uh, more relaxed and, and, and willing to accept it. Yeah, that's right. It only takes a few, and before you know it, it's a bit like that snowball that you push up the hill, push up the hill, gets to the top, and then it kind of gathers momentum and yeah. get out of the road. And that's what's happening, I think, with a lot of these things. I actually had a real frustration when I built our house about 21 years ago. I didn't like the idea of gas. We've got natural gas in our city, and so everyone said, you just hook up to natural gas. Isn't it great we've got natural gas? And I said, I don't like the idea of burning gas in my home. I want electricity everywhere. And I remember almost arguing with my builders about how much better the gas stoves were and you needed to hook up to gas because it's here. Why wouldn't you do it? It's free to connect to. Anyway, I finally got my way because I was paying the bills and we had electricity everywhere and induction stoves. And I think now, finally, 21 years later, I can say, see, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> I don't yes. know who the builders, if I can even find them anymore, but oh, when I find them, I'll tell them I told you so. <laughs> but gas will be something that will be, I think, slowly removed from homes well, as we go to all fossil fuel that we're adding carbon dioxide to the air with. Yeah. And that instant gas we talk about, I mean, we've mentioned induction stoves before, you get that same sort of effect with an induction stove, but that instant sort of gas for your heating for your hot water for example or even for heating your home or on the stove sounds attractive but we just don't want to be burning as you say a fossil fuel so that'll mm. convert to electricity and i think that'll happen fairly quickly it's happening with new homes already but i think we'll convert older homes we'll put solar in for our hot water for example so we'll have mm. a different method of heating hot water or those induction cooktops or something with maybe our air conditioning maybe reverse cycle so that'll certainly change without a doubt and then we might even see and i'm not convinced on this one we might see a little bit of hydrogen in homes as a conversion from gas but i just i just don't think we'll get to that point with hydrogen in the homes it's yeah. a possibility but i say it now just in case it does happen so i can say look at that all those years ago i said that was going to happen well i think i think that's an extra step isn't it because it requires it energy in order to be able to split the water to get the hydrogen um and so we're still a little bit away from that but i, I welcome it yeah I, I think hydrogen will be used on larger scale things like aircraft, like yeah. ships, rather than being piped into someone's home. But I could be wrong on that one. How we eat will change. We've talked before about things like lab meat, the way that we grow cows and just using some different substances so they reduce the amount of methane. But I think we'll eat more chicken rather than just throw away the whole idea of, of cattle altogether. We'll still eat some meat, some red meat, but I think chickens will be an important part of that because they don't produce the same amount of methane, for example. Mm. And then obviously, without a doubt, you'll see so much more renewable electricity. And we've talked about this before. That's happening faster and faster all the time. And then finally, and we've got a few more stories about this, EVs finally will be trendy. At the moment, <laughs> you still feel like you're in the outer, in a fringe group when you drive an EV, but they'll get to the stage where they're trendy and everyone will say, why have we been doing this for years? Why, why aren't we doing this? It's like the push bikes, is that um, if, if there's enough of them out there, um, people get comfortable with the idea yeah. and they're prepared to jump ship. Yep. And of course, coal-fired power, that's going to be on the way out. That'll link into that renewable power. Well, these coal-fired power stations are reaching the end of their lifespan anyway, and some of them are very close to the end of their lifespan. Of course, it takes a long time to replace them and rebuild new ones. And as from what I understand, there's not many plans to make new ones. We hope not. <laughs> um, and even nuclear power plants, um, they take a long time to build. So, yeah. yeah, it'll be those renewable resources like well, energy supplies like solar and, and wind. Yeah, definitely right. Yeah. So there's a few things I think we'll see change. And again, they will change fairly quickly. I remember during the election campaign of 2019, there was all the talk from Labor about we'll have 50% of our new car sales being EV by 2030. And I thought, no, you're not going far enough. That's going to happen without any government intervention. You mm. really can go much further than that. Meanwhile, the other side of politics said, oh, it'll wreck your weekend. These EVs are terrible. You don't want to be supporting the other side of 
politics because they're talking about 50% by 2030. I think both got it wrong. I think the acceleration, excuse the pun, the acceleration of EVs into our daily lives will happen much quicker. And by 2030, absolutely we'll have more than 50% of new car sales, without a doubt in my mind. So that sort of thing will progress quite quickly. But anyway, there's a few of my little bits and pieces that I think will change quite dramatically, quite quickly as we rush towards, very slowly, 2050. Well, speaking of EVs, new buses will soon be on the streets of Sydney. And who doesn't love riding on a brand spanking new bus? But really, big deal. Um, yeah, we see new buses all the time. These ones are going to be significantly different because... Well, they have no graffiti for a start. Or maybe that actually doesn't happen. Maybe Because I've never been in, no matter how new the bus is, I've always seen graffiti. Maybe the first thing they do when they commission it is get it graffitied because people won't want to ride it if it hasn't got graffiti in there. They just (laughs) won't feel at home. It'll be too foreign. That's right. What's this? Surely I can't have a graffiti-free bus. But the first thing they'll do is they'll bring 40 of these buses in that will be all electric. And this is in Sydney. We've got about 8,000 buses in Sydney. Mm. All of those, or I think some of them are gas, but most of those are diesel. And that's kind of what buses have been for all these years. But finally, again, that whole thing we just talked about, about a fairly fast progression, 40 EV buses out of 8,000 doesn't sound like much. But that'll be 40, then it'll be 100, then it'll be 1,000. And before you know it, the whole fleet will be replaced. The depots are being changed so they can do fast charging of these buses. But when you think about a bus, it's got a large amount of space for batteries to be put. And Mm. you don't mind if they're a bit heavy because they're big anyway. You've got all that underfloor space for those batteries to sit, nice low centre of gravity. I don't know if they're single-storey or double-storey buses, but double-storey buses would make a lot of sense because that low centre of gravity would mean that it would still be a very stable bus even if it was a two-level bus, a double-decker bus. Mm. So it makes a lot of sense. So the New South Wales government is doing this, bringing these 40 electric buses, and they'll be hitting the roads from November. So we'll see them when we finally get back to Sydney. We'll see these buses on the roads, and people will be quite excited. You'll get on this bus. It'll have good acceleration. It'll be very quiet. You won't, if you're a cyclist and a bus goes past you, you won't have to pull over and off and splutter for a couple of minutes and then get back going again. So I think it's pretty exciting that we're slowly starting to see these things come through and, again, before we know it, bang, they'll just be commonplace. I remember living on Anzac Parade back in the early 90s um, and just the noise of the buses they pulled up. We were right at a bus stop and um, and the buses pulling up, which was, well, for a country kid, yep. it was hard to get used to. But I can imagine <laughs> these things are just going to glide up. I'd imagine that they'll use regenerative braking like a normal electric car does. And so that will basically take care of that stopping and be very quiet and generate more power and then accelerating away. It's just, yeah, Yeah. I just think it makes so much sense. Yep. Well, here's a novel idea that'll make some people's heads explode because most people think electric cars are too expensive. But could the transition to EVs actually save Australia money, Matt? Well, Deloitte Access Economics have put out a study and they think it could save us a few dollars and they're talking about half a trillion dollars. What? It just seems incredible, doesn't it? We talk so much about the cost of converting to things like EVs, cost of removing ourselves from the carbon economy. But if you actually look at the holistic view of it, you'll save money. And that's just not me plucking some numbers out of thin air. I say Deloitte had some experts, I'm assuming, on this and spent a couple of days at least on going through this whole process and they've got half a trillion dollars. Now, where does that come from? Well, it's come from things like the reduction in pollution, the reduction in greenhouse gases, the reduction in noise pollution. So if they moved, if we moved to 100% electric vehicles, so this is the best case scenario, 100% electric vehicles within 15 years. So 
2035 roughly, all new car sales were EV, which sounds like a long stretch at the moment, mm. but I think we could get there if there was a bit of will to go this direction. That's where they said it would be approximately $492 billion that we would save. And so obviously what they were trying to do is quantify the savings and to see where you'd get those savings from. Now, if they said, well, maybe that's a bit aggressive, maybe we're not going to get there by 2035, maybe, let's say, for example, you got there by 2045, so another 10 years down the track, there would still be savings of $335 billion. These are significant numbers in terms of our overall economy. Has and someone sent a telegram to um, Scott Morrison about this? <laughs> Maybe the New South Wales Premier and the Prime Minister might need to have a look at this. And again, this is the thing. You just get so hung up on the way things were done in the past. I think government sometimes gets hung up on, oh, we, we do this now. We burn coal and we produce power. That's what we've got to keep doing because it'll mm. be tough if we change. Things are changing all the time. What you've got to do is make sure you're not left behind when these changes occur. And I think this study by Deloitte Access Economics is really trying to do that, to say, let's have a look at if we change, how bad would it be? Oh, actually, it's not so bad after all. Again, it's all these benefits that I think would far outweigh the cost, and that's what they believe as well. When you look at the road funding, for example, they talk about if you suddenly changed from the tax model that we've got now, where you've got a lot of tax generated in petrol sales, for example, which doesn't all go to the roads, by the way, but some of it does. It goes to general revenue and some goes back to the roads. They talk about maybe you would have a billion dollar a year hole in your roads budget if you didn't get all that tax. But this still says even including that billion dollars a year whole, you would still be half a trillion dollars better off over that 15-year time frame oh, really? because of all the other savings, which then could be put back into roads if you needed to do that. It's just staggering numbers. So better roads as well, better infrastructure. Um, uh, yeah, it just makes sense. I, am, I, am I being crazy here? Well, I'm not sure if they were talking about better roads, but at least the same roads, keeping same the road, roads yeah. at the same okay. standard without improving them, but... We, maintaining them and having enough money to go and do all of that. So it's. I think we've just got to get a different mindset here, James. I think we've just got to think differently about things. If we keep thinking about things in the old way, then we're just going to keep getting stuck and keeping the same roadblocks, excuse the pun, <laughs> yeah, again, two for the day. <laughs> but I think we've got to think differently because if you do, you then embrace change. If mm. you say, oh, that's the only way I can do it, then you'll keep being stuck in that same old way of doing things. Time to move on, folks. Sticking on the subject of EVs, on the higher car front. It's all about choice, folks, and choice is the defining feature of the modern age. When you hire a car, it'd be nice to have a choice of hiring an EV. Uh, well, now, Hertz will be available to offer you exactly that. Matt, no more feeling dirty when you head into the hire car booth at Mascot Airport. This is brilliant. I love this. Very clever move by Hertz, and obviously Tesla's on board with it as well. But I have. When I've flown into an airport and I want to hire a car, I look for an EV knowing I'm going to find no option there for an EV and of course there isn't. Then I go to the next best option, a hybrid, and I can sometimes find a hybrid and sometimes not. And then sometimes I've got to hire a good old-fashioned petrol car and I feel dirty. <laughs> I feel a bit disgusting and I actually don't enjoy driving a petrol yeah, car anymore. They're so right. sluggish to get off the line. You've got all that lag. If you get Noisy. one of those... Oh, Terrible noise. And if you get one of those ones that's a small engine turbo, the lag, that turbo lag, oh, it's just, they're terrible to drive. How does anyone survive driving a petrol engine car these days? <laughs> but Hertz have just bought a few cars from Tesla, 100,000 cars from Tesla. That's a serious order. When we consider that we talked about recently that Tesla had just done its best quarter ever, the third quarter in this calendar year, they sold 
241,000 cars. That's pretty impressive. Well done. Mm. That's your best ever quarter. You've just got another order for 100,000 cars on top of that. Now, they can't meet demand now. Their supply, they're going quite well. They're increasing the manufacturing every quarter, every month, but they still can't keep up with the demand. This is another 100,000 cars on top of that. Now, I actually thought this was initially the U.S., and Europe that they were taking these cars into. But my brother, who was mad keen on buying a an EV, and he hasn't actually pulled his finger out and bought one yet, <laughs> he actually saw this story, and he went to look at hiring a car in December in Australia, and he went onto the Hertz website, and he found that you actually hire one of these Tesla EVs by December this year. So they're, obviously, they're They're distributing these around the world. So that's fantastic news for people in Australia, and I would recommend it to anyone. If you are going to fly into somewhere and you've got to hire a car, just have a go of one. Just see how the experience is. See how it works for you. And the, the sad part about that is you, you do that once and you might then come back home and go, right, I've got to buy one now. Because once you drive, once you experience it for a day, that's enough to push you over the line. There it is, folks. You heard it right here. Did someone say something about EVs? Because I'm not sure if we've had an EV story yet. Um, <laughs> anyway, if only they were more affordable, Matt. This is the thing. EVs, they're so expensive. Like, to buy one straight off the plot. Could we talk about them more if like, if, if they were more affordable? Well, it'd be good to see some government subsidies thrown in there somewhere, but maybe car companies will just come up with a solution. And BYD is about to be launched in Australia. BYD stands for Build Your Dreams. Right. So you can't I haven't really, heard of this car company before. No, it's a new one from China, and you can't really build it to suit yourself. So it's a bit misleading process there where they're calling it Build Your Dreams. But basically, they'll have some cars. Well, build the CEO's dreams. Perhaps. Yeah, something like that maybe. But they've actually got – they were talking about bringing in a little hatch to begin with, but then they realised that the market in Australia was all about the SUV. Now, we've talked about the MG from China before, which is a nice little SUV, and hitting around that $40,000 mark. But this is another one that's going to be under that $40,000. So for an SUV with reasonable range, 400 kilometres of range, reasonable performance, we're talking 310 newton metres of torque, 150 kilowatts of power, so all quite reasonable. Not Tesla numbers, but still quite reasonable mm-hmm. for you running around town, going on some short trips here and there. Well, and SUVs are essentially being run around town. They're very rarely going way out in the sticks, <laughs> no, aren't that's they? that's right. <laughs> so show me an SUV that's got any real dirt on it somewhere, and I'll show you someone that went out just to be able to say they've gone out in the dirt somewhere. Yeah. You are right. They're normally dropping off kids to dance lessons or whatever it might that's be. That's right. So this is something that will start to change the landscape because you're right. People want to buy electric cars. About 60% of people have been surveyed said they want to buy an electric vehicle, they're considering an electric vehicle, but the pricing isn't quite right, doesn't quite suit them at this time. So getting under $40,000 for an SUV, absolutely. And again, this isn't pie in the sky. You can start to order these cars before the end of this year and they'll be delivered early next year. They still have got a small little compact, a little hatchback, a little bit less powerful, 70 kilowatts of power, 300 kilometres of range, but I think that'll be really exciting. And that starts to get down even further. You're starting to get down to the mid-30s for something like that. For someone that just does do their little commute to work, they might live in a city and they spend an hour in the car each day and they're not doing many kilometres, something like that I think would be really attractive. And then they're going to have a little van as well, a little commercial van doing deliveries, that type of thing. It'll be 34 or 35, around that sort of number as well. So again, you've got these options for people getting under that $40,000 mark and that starts to sound really attractive. Limited range, not going to have the Tesla performance of 0 to 100 in 2.6 seconds, 
But the reality is that's fun to do, but you don't really need it. It's nice to put your friend <laughs> oh, in, in there and say, zone at least. <laughs> no, that's right. Hold on to your kidneys because we're about to go and floor this thing. But this is where things are going to start to progress really quickly. Once BYD comes in and we've already got the Hyundai Kona, for example, here, we've got some Kias, we've got Nissan Leaf. So there's a whole range of these ones getting down, pushing that price down. Once other manufacturers around the world see that Aussies, ignore the Aussie government, Aussies will adapt and adopt this new technology, then other manufacturers will say, there is a market there in Australia. Let's get these mm-hmm. lower price models into the Australian market and let's get them rolling out. And I think it will happen very quickly. It's going to happen soon too, I hope. And folks, it looks like that's where we have to wrap it up for another week. The caretaker has arrived and wants to turn off the lights, but not before I congratulate you, Matt, on another cracking TED Talk. Uh, Thank you. And just to mention for our listeners, we've actually been named a finalist in the Australian Podcast of the Year. There are six finalists in that. We're one of the finalists in the category known as the Smartest Podcast, which I don't mind that. If we win a category that says we've got the Smartest Podcast, that's right. That's not too bad. So those awards will be announced in about a month's time. So we'll let listeners know how we go. Look at the Australian Podcast Awards. You can go and Google that and look at all the finalists for a bunch of different categories. But yeah, very happy, very proud to have that and so people out there listening know that there is some external recognition for the quality of the podcast we're putting out feels pretty cool yeah (laughs) and it's all part of the service people bringing you such a a quality podcast i don't know about you Matt, but i'm I'm off to get some of those screen glasses too by the way absolutely (laughs) and that's all from me i'm your host james eddie and don't forget to like and subscribe